Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 7, Unification 3. You can't see it, but I'm dancing because I really like this episode. It was a great episode, it had a lot. <laughs> I've seen some reviewers, such as at Vulture, calling it the best episode of Discovery yet, mm. and I would have to say it's definitely in my top three. They took a lot of care with this one, I think. is yeah. You can tell the yeah. amount of effort that went into it to make it all make sense and connect together and provide both drama going forward and drama going backwards. Yes, and also to make basically the dis- the defense of Michael's thesis dramatic and interesting. Like that takes real skill. <laughs> absolutely does. So true. As someone who works at a university <laughs> and witnesses quite a few thesis defenses, the beginning part um, mm-hmm. where. Michael was just put on the defense immediately and then like had to leave the room to collect herself. That was very true to life. <laughs> but then it got more exciting. It felt it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the Vulcan academic system is absolutely this dramatic. <laughs> and I imagine that the Romulan system was much the same, except it took place in some sort of secretive star chamber situation. When Michael uh, said that her Tikalinet, something like that. I'm glad you remembered the name. Dates back to Surik, the times of Surik. And like that was, as we, as we can all remember, that was thousands of years in the past <laughs> from now, for, for us in 2020. So the the fact that they, they're just like, this is this still works. We'll like you know we'll update yeah, it a little yeah. to make sure we include the Romulans, but it's you know this it's good it's good. We're, we don't have to change anything. Yeah, we see no problem with this system whatsoever. It's just like, didn't Surik exist to stop Vulcan from <laughs> like completely destroying each other? It's, it's just... I feel like previously the Takalan Ket was. Uh, a fight to the death over an academic theory and now it's much more civilized and that's all down to Surak and think how much worse it that's true been. it's true no one tried to murder <laughs> anyone during it which is better than their wedding ceremonies <laughs> yes honestly I truly believed that the Vulcan purist was going to be murdered and Michael would be a suspect and that it would pivot from a sort of academic courtroom drama to murder mystery <sighs> Which, you know, these are two classic Star Trek tropes, storylines. Uh, and I was very surprised no one died. I'm honestly having trouble, like, breathing. I'm laughing so hard at the idea that you were convinced that it was going to turn into a murder mystery. I know, I know. <laughs> it was very dramatic on its uh, merits. It didn't need murder. I mean... Michael's self-esteem was murdered a little bit. And how? Like, wow, Gabrielle, wow. We should have known as soon as she was introduced as a Kualat Malat, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
that's where we're going with this yeah um but absolute candor only is only sometimes a good thing it's so fun to me as a human who loves romulans and and loves vulcans but mostly for being terrible yes to imagine this human who's been adopted into a Romulan sect and is presenting it in front of the Vulcans, the Romulans, the half Vulcan, half Romulans, the representatives of the Federation and her daughter. Mm. And it's just, there's a lot involved in that. And it's very... She's also a human from Yeah, the past. it's very interesting cultural touchstones. Just all at once. Yeah. And I feel like that sort of reflects this episode and encapsulates it, I should say, because this story is doing a lot. Like, we're checking in with the Romulans and the Vulcans and there's the fan service of giving us Spock (laughs) and, yes, I got my wish and Michael got to see her brother, Nimoy. Uh... Uh, And then there's this sort of double act happening where on the one hand, Saru is like, yeah, we got to the future and it wasn't a utopia. And I was like, maybe this isn't real Star Trek. But then we found the Federation and it is a utopia. So this is real Star Trek. And Tarina's like, what if I told you that the Federation was never a utopia? And this was always real Star Trek. Yeah. And Gabriel is highlighting the cynicism of using Michael's connection to Spock and Sarek to appeal to an audience in a show which did exactly that. We talk about a Star Trek growing the beard, you know, when Jonathan Frakes has facial hair and suddenly it jumps in quality. And I feel like this is a growing the beard episode because, like, the whole season has been great, but there's a tremendous confidence in this story and a willingness to criticize the series that's what it is that's it's it is it's the confidence to they they never once do they apologize for the storyline that they're telling which is what discovery was doing like the entire second season and at least half of the first season (laughs) right right and i think voyager sort of goes through the same process late in its season three where suddenly this intensely episodic series has the courage to go back and dig up its own past and discoveries maturity comes in a different form but it's the same thing i'm just i'm just really happy (laughs) well i yes i'm always happy when when star trek it's it's this i'm gonna say again the confidence because that's such a perfect way of expressing it that this is when i say I love television. It's my favorite medium because Mm. it's so messy and it makes a hundred thousand mistakes in every episode. And that's what's great about television is that you can, you can go back and fix your mistakes and you can, you can say, Hey, that thing that you believed is, is now this thing. And it's like, what? So that, that's Mm. fun to me that it's always changing, but by definition, it's always, it's both always changing and always staying the same. And that's a really difficult, it's really hard to do television well. So it comes down to confidence. And I love that so far in season three of Discovery, they have found that 
sort of they've let go of some of their fear of you know being star trek and are just being discovered yeah. which is star trek but is its own series it doesn't have to depend on all the other series and it's interesting because we say you know this is discovery standing alone <laughs> but this episode is full of references to the original series and, and next generation to Next Gen and Star mm-hmm. Trek Picard and even an obscure bit of uh, fan writing from the 70s. Uh, Trekcore just, re- just tweeted something about how the word Navarre was coined in uh, Spockanalia and ha- has been edging closer and closer to canon for all these years. And so, even they have the, the USS Yelchin, which is a shout out to yes! uh, the late actor. So... Uh, from yes, the from the alternate series, so it's like even yes. even the Star Trek that is uh, on the surface the least Star Trek <laughs> is still get, got to be in this episode. Not the least Star Trek, but the furthest away from mainstream. That's what I mean. I, I you know I'm one of those people who says sure you can count Galaxy Quest as a Star Trek movie because it's <laughs> it wouldn't exist without Star Trek, you know. Right. So this idea of yeah we have to be Star Trek, uh, it's. I'm just saying that as someone who really loves the Kelvinverse films, I think they're very strong as movies. <laughs> and so yeah. the idea that it's not Star Trek has always, you know, twisted me up and I get upset. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I understand that liter- because it's not in the prime universe, therefore it's like at- separate from what we're watching right now. Just because of that, you know, echo verse mm. kind of thing. It's separate, but it's still relevant to this story because everyone believes that Spock died in the evacuation right. of Romulus, and we know that he he went to the other and timeline he, and he got to like rebirth Vulcan there too. You know, it's yeah, like he lived many more years. It's it's really sort of he, Spock is this amazing person who got to in he got to affect three separate universes three different vulcans <laughs> and i know it's so wonderful it's, it's really great like anyway obviously we all know that spock is the best yeah. <laughs> we don't have to go into that but no but i think this episode you know a lot of season two was about spock rather than about michael and this episode was really about spock as a part of uh, Spock is subordinate to Michael, is what I'm trying mm. to, to say. Words are hard. And I think that is appropriate for this series. And I just, you know, even in the episode that we didn't much care for, the mm-hmm. seed ship one that was sort of a mishmash, that felt very much discovery. Mm. Like, you know, all of... I, I really feel like they found a way to tell classic, traditional Star Trek stories without losing their identity as this messy show about weirdos doing their best. Yes. And the leader of the weirdos doing their best is, of course, Michael Burnham. And she's the heart of it. Right. And, you know, I I was, like, complaining last week about how I I didn't want Michael to... I didn't want Michael to be the one who made an argument for Starfleet and the Federation. And she totally... (laughs) Like, that was literally her job in this episode. But it was such a... It was so Michael-y. And it was, like... She, she, she wasn't doing it because she, because of the way that it ended up being where 
her mother forced her to be herself mm. for it or like you know tell her own truths about it like because of that structure it required michael to make the argument for herself instead of for the federation so it wasn't like michael being subservient to the federation and saying you know this is the only choice she was saying this is the choice i make and this is why I think that's so important because we were saying last week, you know, we want Michael to leave. We want Michael to go off and do her own thing before she comes back and to make a conscious choice to join Starfleet. But maybe it was never as binary as that. And like Gabriel says at the end, she can have her duty and have her joy and one doesn't need to cancel out the other and Starfleet doesn't need to be perfect for her to serve it. Starfleet doesn't need to be perfect for her to serve it. Hmm. And she doesn't need to be perfect to serve Starfleet. And they don't have to fit together exactly. She can be the weird piece that is hanging out in the cargo bay with her boyfriend and his cat. He looked at that cat. Look, I know. I just got to say, I know that. Like he was getting getting grudges. Yes, exactly. No, I agree. (laughs) And so either, I mean, I fair. I look at my cat sometimes when I'm like trying to decide something, and it's like they're the, if they're the only creature in the room or whatever, or or just to give me that that little bit of emotional support. That's what cats are for, right? So I sort of get it, but yes, also I yes. still think that means that there's more to her story. I there's a mission involved. Don't want to. I don't want to commit to anything yet, but I I see, I, I see evidence now, not mm. just a hunch. <laughs> Uh, I know everyone was mad when I said Book was sexy Neelix, but I'm just saying his ship does live in the shuttle bay, and and, and he's yeah. telling them where uh, to you know how to get around and like okay, but yeah, just yeah, but he doesn't cook that we know of. <laughs> so, he probably does cook because have you seen that guy? He's basically yeah. perfect, and and he's been alone, right? He's been traveling alone for so yeah. long, yeah. Uh, you know, you learn skills as you need them. Uh, but everything he cooks is made of programmable matter. Oof. What a weird future. <laughs> like, we're getting closer, you know, with, like, 3D printing and stuff. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I almost feel like the technology is not actually advanced enough for mm. the, the a thousand yeah. years in the future. But that's that's been a problem with Star Trek from yeah, the beginning. Forever. So, you know. The 1960s did not accurately predict the technology of the early 21st century. Oh, well. <laughs> I know. Star Trek is cancelled. <clears throat> now, I mean, at this point, we've, we've diverged from Star Trek. Like, we are not living in the Prime Universe, so. No. No. We might be living in the Mirror Universe. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, to get back to Michael and false binaries, uh, Friday evenings are Discover Lorian nights in my house. Uh, seven o'clock hits and we watch Discovery and then we watch That's The Mandalorian awesome. and it's it's pretty great we get takeaway we just chill on the couch it's beautiful uh, and it occurred to me that just as Michael doesn't need to choose between being Starfleet and being an individual 
it, it's like how Ahsoka Tano is a Jedi, but she's also literally the only one in the entire galaxy far, far away going, yeah, I'm actually not going to separate this traumatized child from the only person he loves and trusts. I think that might go badly. <laughs> I've seen how that ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It ends with Baby Yoda being hidden from Anakin's younglings massacre. So let's not go down that road again. I, yes, I mean, Ahsoka has always been the best version of the Jedi uh, and you know you could literally the only one who learns yeah history. because because it used to be that luke could be there along with her but nope <laughs> that turned out yeah. wrong uh, so so basically ahsoka tano and michael burnham have a lot in common as characters you know they're excoriated by the male fandom as horrible mary sues for mm -hmm, years and years mm -hmm. and i'm quite sure that in 10 years time a section of fandom will be looking at whatever new female character we have and going, oh, she's just like a, she's just a Mary Sue. She's not a proper like, character like Michael Exactly. Burnham. That's exactly what's going to happen. And it's just so. But, but also they occupy that in-between space. And also the AU where Ahsoka is the one to train Ben, I think yeah. would have worked out much better the, for everyone. They are also related, secretly related to the main character of the series. <laughs> like... They're, yes. they're literally the what same. What do you mean Anakin had a yeah. Padawan? What do you mean Spock had a sister? So it's it's a very good, it's a very good uh, parallel. Yeah, sure, parallel. That sounds good. <laughs> There's a word, but I don't know what it is. I'm very bad at words. That's okay. It sounds like your My cat, cat is, is trying is, to. I no, I'm trying, I'm like, I'm trying to get her to be quiet and she's refusing greatly. <laughs> That's okay. As long as it's not my neighbor uh, revving his engine, I'm pretty okay with any type of background noise today. I, I just keep coming back to how much I liked this episode, and I almost don't have very much to say about it because it was mm, so good. That's, that's, that's fair. I, what I want to talk about is Michael's abundance of mothers. This is all I've yes. been thinking about since I watched it, because... We've discussed this before, that Michael has Gabrielle, her mother, who raised her till she mm -hmm. was mm, 11. I don't know, ish, ish. okay. Say, say pre -adolescent. And then she had Amanda, who raised her from pre-adolescent to college age. Yes. And then she got handed over to Philippa Georgiou, who took her from that, you know, young adult stage to, hey, I think you're ready to take charge of a ship. Mm. Not true, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> she was confident. Yes, yes. And she also, in the Mirror Universe, had another Philippa Giorgio who raised her sort of from a, my understanding is like that pre-adolescent stage. Yeah, she basically skipped the Amanda stage. So she's got lots of mothers, and the best part of this is that she is sort of an, an orphan character, you know? And I love orphans. Yeah. That sounds wrong. <laughs> I mean, orphan character, like, that's a, a standard in fiction because the easiest way to get some, you to relate to someone is saying, well, they don't have parents. And then you're like, oh, I really care about that person because I yeah. understand what it would mean to not have parents. You know, some people uh, don't get married. Some people don't have children. Everybody has parents. It's just a thing. 
Everybody has right. So, and it's also a convenient way to create characters who don't have too many ties, right. which I think makes it easier for writers who don't want to introduce too many complications. It's why there are so many only children in fiction. Right. So, there, she was that that sort of like standard character trope, and yet had all these extra parents. I love that as someone so who great. is really interested in familial relationships above all else, I would say. And that, that means like, you know, team is family and found family and friends is family and all of that as well. But, you know, those relationships that are not friendship and not romance, something else, you know, the familial line, whatever it is. And so it's, you know, it's great. It's great for Michael to have this, to be both the orphan and have lots of extra mothers. But the thing about, and, and also I have to say, as a woman, as a mother, mm -hmm. as a daughter, the fact that fiction in general just really doesn't care about mothers is like, that's a, that's a thing. That's a thing that is real. We have like a they whole say, about it. They say that, uh, you know, like, oh, no Disney princesses have a mother, you know, ha ha ha, what a silly trope. It's like, it's not just Disney, it's literally everywhere. <laughs> no one cares about moms. Even when the mom is like more important, like let's take Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Guardians mm. of the Galaxy, it's one of my favorite parts of the MCU. The mom is important in the first movie, but she's also dead. Like she literally she dies in the first like dead. five yes. minutes of the show, right? And then in the second movie, which in, uh, in many other ways is pretty superior, he meets his dad and the absence of this father figure is like becomes more important than the dead mom. And like at the end of the movie, like he realizes that he had his mom and it was like that was good enough and like he turns against his father because he loves his mom so much, but then he also like has another dad. <laughs> And it's just like, yeah. why do you have multiple dads that you're going to mourn? And, like, yes, you keep saying that your mom is important, but she's only been in the movies for, like, ten minutes. So she's clearly not that important. So it's like, like really, Peter Quill should be collecting surrogate mothers. Right. And that is the best representation of mothers in the entire MCU. So, <laughs> you know, and then it's like a joke in, in the, the DC universe. They... They have that whole Martha Martha scene, <laughs> which everyone hates. I loved because I have been waiting since I found out that they both of their mothers were named Martha. I've been waiting for that scene, and mm. I'm gonna. I feel like that was when I was pretty young, so I was waiting for 20 years for this scene, and so I got it. But like, it's a joke. No one likes that scene, and so no. And again, that's like the best representation. <laughs> like, like Wonder Woman. She has an entire island full of mothers, and yet somehow the fact that she's Ares' daughter is more important. <laughs> so it's weird how that works. Like whatever. So, so fiction doesn't care about mothers, and therefore the only kind of mother you ever have is the evil stepmom type, mm. like the evil queens of the world. Uh, you know the Cersei. Who are great, even, who but... are like those are her real kids, but she's still the evil mom, right? Or you have the perfect saintly moms who are usually dead, like in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Or, and both Marthas. <laughs> like, 
perfect. So like those are the two options you have. You have evil or perfect and dead. So the fact that Michael has three slash four moms and they are all complicated. None of them is perfect and none of them is purely evil. Is no. so and most of them are alive. <laughs> that it's just it's like they're taking this trope and they're turning it inside out. Like even Amanda, who I would say until discovery was the perfect mom and also dead. And is and, and they, she's they imperfect. More complicated. She's imperfect. She she makes decisions that you sort of, you know, tilt your head and go, hmm, that's an interesting decision. Starting with marrying Sarek and supporting his parenting choices. <laughs> Which was like always under the surface, but it was yeah, never like exposed. It wasn't a thing. But, <laughs> so, and Discovery only barely interrogates that, but they do more than any of the other Star Treks. Right. They at least nod to it. They at least acknowledge mm. that it's there. And Gabrielle, who was another person who could easily have been the perfect dead mom, uh, was introduced as like a superhero, but also a really like flawed individual who made yeah. who made choices that that you're sort of like that's not a choice that a mom would make. And she herself says, you know, she this in this episode, she's like, yeah, I kind of messed up my daughter, and a lot of her problems are down to me. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, everybody. So. And then there's Philippa, who, like, is, there's so much about <laughs> Philippa. Like, you know, even when, she wasn't in this episode, but even when she's not there, she's there, and you're thinking about her. Yes. So, and it's, it's kind of amazing that the, of, of Michael's moms, the one that pretty much loves her unconditionally. Yeah. Is Philippa. Like, I think they all love her unconditionally, but they all have different ways of showing it. And Philippa's, Philippa's maybe what she wants right now, but maybe Gabriel's way is what she needs. I guess I mean that uh, Michael can do no wrong in Philippa's eyes. Ah, uh, yes. That's what I mean. Yes. That she absolutely. That, that she, Philippa will accept her no matter how, what kind of Michael she feels like being. Whereas Gabri Gabrielle and Amanda have sort of expectations for her. And it, like, that's yes. not bad. I'm not saying that they're wrong for having expectations for her or they want her to, you know, be quote unquote good. But that's what I meant. No, that, that, that makes sense. And I think you said in the discord, you, you were referring to that meme about I want I don't just want strong female characters I want complicated female yes. characters and you want complicated mothers yes. and discovery does that and I'm so happy women can be more than mothers certainly and should it sounds like fake news to me uh, like, but. but the fact that a woman is a mother doesn't mean that they're not also a person right <laughs> which and seems to be a controversial statement. I but do believe the thought police will be bashing down your door any minute now. But I also think, like, the mothers of Discovery make mistakes and they're not vilified for it. 
right because they're people because people are allowed to have flaws and to make bad choices and not be super villains right but you know i think i think in other series that would be completely not the case And, and it's have you seen the Queen's Gambit yet? The no, Netflix series I'm, about the people—it's really me. good. <laughs> Sorry, people keep telling me to watch it. It's—it's it's definitely very popular. It's very good. Uh, I read the book last week, and it was very rapey. Uh, <laughs> so I watched the series. But the main character has a really complicated relationship with her adoptive mother, who is on the one hand needy and a bit manipulative, and pushes both of them down the path into addiction, and yet at the same time is her biggest supporter and fan and a linchpin of stability and isn't vilified for it. And I was thinking as I watched it, this is this would be so unusual to see in a science fiction series because SF tends to have much more simplistic depictions of motherhood. And then Gabriel Burnham came back. <laughs> she, and I, I was completely surprised too. I was not... Yeah. I wasn't expecting anything that happened in this episode <laughs> I, I, I guess i was maybe a little bit expecting michael to pull up a ancient vulcan ceremony that she would force them to listen to her like that mm. that's pretty prototypical star trek but that, that's just another day on vulcan yeah <laughs> but but i was not expecting the a reappearance of michael's mother i was not expecting the picard tie into absolute candor i was not expecting the vulcan president was she kind of reminds me of like admiral vance and then i'm sort of like i think i like you and agree with you sometimes and i'm confused because you're in a position of authority and i'm not supposed to on star trek right i'm really <laughs> perturbed by all of these uh reasonable authority figures <laughs> i don't understand <laughs> One of them has to be hiding something. Right. And it's fun, too, because Tarina and Admiral Vance are on sort of opposite sides. They both don't trust the other for all these various reasons and, you know, think that they're kind of shady. And it's like, you're both shady, so you're know, both right. But I also, like, kind of want to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not you know you're doing everything for the for the good of your people i think both things can be true right it's 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 another a version of being complicated and being mm. real which actually brings me to a pet peeve with this episode and i think it's more of a problem with the vulcans than with the writing but it is possible to make a mistake and to be in error without being a liar or a dissembler you can be very certain of something and still be wrong and that doesn't make you dishonest right you can just be mistaken right and i do not think that this whole process really took that into account mm. which is very typical for vulcans very typical. but <laughs> i kept wanting michael to point out the false binary that <laughs> they were they were applying yeah and, and sort of gabrielle kind of did Mm. Which, again, it's really interesting that Gabrielle is a human yes. who learns the ways of this Romulan splinter group. Like, 
that's just interesting in and of itself. And so she's not Vulcan. She's not Romulan. She's not human. She's just sort of like, and and Michael too. Like Michael, because she was raised by Vulcans. Like Gabrielle says, you know, you were raised by Vulcans, but you're still a human. And it's like, yes, that's true. Yes. But also, she was raised by Vulcans, <laughs> so that is also true. So she's not fully human. Like there's there's these gray areas that I think the system doesn't believe in. Right. And I think that Gabrielle herself has a blind spot because she doesn't want to admit that her apparent death left Michael so traumatised that she chose to embrace mm. a Vulcan psychology over a human heritage. Mm-hmm. Since we're talking about the ceremony and the people involved, mm. I it's fun to me <laughs> that there are <laughs> the three, the Vulcan, the Romulan, and the... Romulo Vulcan. Romulo Vulcan. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. They should just... I'm so happy. <laughs> and I wrote here in our notes that the Vulcans are the conservatives, the Romulans mm. are the progressives, and the Romulo Vulcans are the liberals. Yes. And... I really liked Shira, the red haired Romulo Vulcan mm-hmm. lady, but I was like, honey, you're a centrist and you need to stop. <laughs> no. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, it was it was a lot like that that juxtaposition and sort of in the end you know Michael and Gabrielle were sort of like none of this is good <laughs> okay <laughs> like not and not accepting anything new and and being super strict about the rules not good uh, mm. throwing the rules out the window and doing whatever the hell you want not good. <laughs> And then doing nothing because you don't want to do the wrong thing. Really, really mm. bad. So from a political standpoint and a socio-political standpoint, it was, there was a really a lot of good going on. And of course, I was on the side of the Romulan because... Uh, I was too. I love Romulans. I'm definitely a progressive. I'm definitely the doing something that's wrong is better than <laughs> not doing anything. Sorry, it's just the way... I was generally on his side, but I do sympathize with the Romulo Vulcans mm-hmm. in that they are almost a third culture on Navarre. Right. They're trying to, they're thinking of the whole, whereas like the mm. Vulcans are like, we want our way of life to stay the same. And the Romulans are like, we want something to happen <laughs> and everything is too slow, you know? And then the Romulo yeah. Vulcans are like, we don't want to lose what we have. We do want to grow, we do want to move forward, but it's important to do it in a way that everyone agrees with and everyone is comfortable with. And the problem with that is that then no one's making any decisions. And Right, right. But I, and, you know, yeah. to use Star Wars, as I always do, mm. uh, the Vulcans are the Jedi, and also the Sith, but the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the Romulan is like the Qui-Gons. I called him Qui-Gomulan. Yes. <laughs> or Anakin's of the, uh, or you know, even Ahsoka, but Ahsoka's <laughs> special. And then the Romulo Vulcans are Padme. And Padme's like, yeah. and, 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 and Bail Organa too. Like, like the, the people who are like, look, we have to do something, but we have to do something that doesn't throw everything into chaos. And right. that is 
True, that is a good position, but it's also the position that results in the Empire murdering everyone. Right, so. sooner or later you do have to make a choice, even if it's an ugly one. Right. So uh, for me, for me, the comparison with the Romulan guy was with Scotland because, oh, is it Gabrielle who gives the rundown of who was in the quorum? She's like, he, mm-hmm. he just wants more autonomy. Yes. And I'm like, devolved parliament for the Romulans. <laughs> they have all this mineral wealth. They can be independent. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But it's fun. It's fun to think of real world politics and uh, and then put all of these different little space operas mm-hmm. on top of it. Like that's fun for me. I like it. It's better than yes. It's better than looking at reality. Real world. And well, because it's like oh, you know, I was talking about this with my daughter who's fifteen, and you know, I was we were talking about how twenty twenty because it was Thanksgiving and we did nothing. We did literally nothing. <laughs> we had we had Zoom meetings with two families so it was like four hours of zoom meetings which was fun and we had a good time but it was weird right so we went for a walk and we were talking about how weird everything is did you see any ducklings we didn't see any ducklings this time no we saw mist like literal mist rising up off the fields it was very oh wow it is weird it is weird and it's it's cool and she said well at least biden won (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, "Yes, yes, you're right. We should we look on the positive sides. It's in theory not going to get worse, and in theory some things are going to improve, or at least get back to the status quo." Yeah, he, but he is a bit Romulo Vulcan. Yeah, but exactly. But me being me, I'm like, we don't really have time for this. <laughs> we we need to have actual change and and disruption of the system. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay to come back around to Star Trek mm. <laughs> and this episode and my point about my Romulans is that change is good and we shouldn't be afraid of it. We should have the confidence to do the thing that makes sense in the moment and think about the future absolutely what struck me like speaking of accepting accepting difficult situations is that saru doesn't push for vulcan to start considering a return to the federation Mm. and he accepts that this is going to be the work of a long time Mm. and his rapport with tarina and yes i ship it also i'm just checking did I get her name right? I think yes. So. Uh, their rapport is a first step, but it could take generations to come back, and that's okay. And that's okay. And I think that's uh, as much as Michael's obsession with the burn is clearly a plot point that is going to be addressed. Mm. Deciding, you know, like Vance knew about SP. SP-19, 17, I don't know. It was like a fake thing. SP-19. Vance knew about it. And knew about how it related to the burn. Mm. And was like, yeah, we we did that. Like, we've had this conversation with the Navarre. We've had this conversation with each other. And, 
he was excited that Michael had new information so that it could be opened up. Yes. But he's also like, this isn't the, this isn't the secret. This isn't the smoking gun that you thought it was. And I think that that was really good storytelling. The other thing that interests me is that they were less concerned with the technobabble about the cause of the burn and more interested in the sociological effects of Vulcan or or Navarre believing that it's responsible for the Mm. burn or that the Federation made them responsible. Because as we have discussed, I don't care about the cause of the burn, but I care about the story arising out of the cause of the burn. Does that make sense? Yes. That seems like a very no, yes, um, and I think that that's what, like distinction. Like this episode, I didn't like. I I was into it. I was into yeah. the mystery of the burn because it was related to people and cultures, and it wasn't about solving the problem so that we can go back to normal. No, it was about no. how do we address? You know, it was it was interesting because Vance. Like, I got the impression that he didn't necessarily disagree with the Vulcans. It was like, we, the Federation did mess up and, and yeah. make this thing happen. That is a plausible possibility. And, you know, maybe his disinterest in the burn is because he's sort of like, that was a mistake and we need to move on from it. And, like, that's, that's more interesting to me than them not caring or yeah, and Michael yeah. being the only one who cares, or everyone caring, and like it was like it made sense. It was like, oh, you, there's motivation for the choices that these people are making. Yes, yes, and it's an it's interesting motivation, you know, and and it hints at the politics and the political structures behind Vance that mm-hmm. the Federation would have would have pushed the. Vulcans to yeah. pursue research like, that they weren't convinced by. Of and course that, they would. <laughs> yeah, and that they were stretched too thin, and that in de- depending on one commodity to keep their empire stable, they had to prioritize yeah. some worlds over others, and a scarcity culture arose in a civilization which hasn't known scarcity for over a thousand years. And that's really interesting. It's super interesting. And it's also like the Vulcans sort of position that the Federation was too big and cared too much about the whole. I like, okay. Was it Tarina that said that? I, yes. Because I feel like the, the, the Vulcan in the quorum was, less able to say it. So I feel like it was true enough. But um but it was just like thank you. And, and she even like said that you know you can't like that it was that you can't you can't trust a proverb like you can't believe, you you know there's options. Mm. You can't just be like this yeah. is a one rule thing. It's like that's a that's a stereotype. That's a that's just a you know there's truth in it. There's truth in a proverb, mm. but there's also distruth. And you also you can't like rely on it. It's not you can't build a, for- a culture yeah. out of fortune cookie message. And so I was, I really liked her because she was a Same. Vulcan. She was a conservative Vulcan, but she was a conservative Vulcan who absolutely believes in, like, she, she was open to the possibility that she could be wrong, which is like yes. no other Vulcan. 
I don't remember. Maybe to fall. <laughs> what? What is well, you know, ever? the haircut reminded me a lot of Topol because it was a slight variation on the, the bowl cut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I just, I really, I really like this idea of a Vul- Vulcan. There are being Vulcans in charge who can, who can can accept both sides. Like that's that's a more of a yeah. Bail Organa and Padme comparison as well. Is like someone who is 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 trying to hold on to what it is, but realizes that the system is not perfect. That like this gigantic coordination across all these different cultures like of course it's going to prioritize some cultures over others of course it's going to not worry about the slavery that's happening in the outer rim because they have all these other things that are about their people that are in their group that they have to worry Mm. about and Volterino was saying you know we have to see we we have to see the group but we also have to realize that that the group is made up of people the group is made up of individual cultures and individual people and they matter too yes yes and i think it's really interesting to have the vulcans as the voice of this and they seem more engaged in politics than earth Mm. although granted we never saw the president of earth so maybe she's as engaged as tarina and is just delegating, you know, the gatekeeper stuff mm-hmm. to Captain which, Waterface. Which would also be true to oh, life yeah. and true yeah. to Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, I just... <sighs> I keep coming back to how much I like this episode. Let's talk about Tilly as the new EXO. Yes! <laughs> I totally did not see that coming. I was like, from last week, I was like... Oh, okay. Michael's been demoted. This means we're going to see something of Nielsen. Maybe she'll get a personality. <laughs> I, know. I was wrong. I know. Incidentally, I mean... according to Memory Alpha, uh, Nielsen was a ballet dancer whose career was ended by an injury, so she joined Starfleet, and she is very Type A and ambitious. What? I know. I, I mean, know. awesome. But what? <laughs> I know. That is not. We're you. back to Michael Chabon's Instagram again. Uh, apparently Michelle Paradise uh, gave, like, did an interview with Star Trek magazine or something and gave these little capsule descriptions of all of the bridge crew, which is great. It's fantastic for fic writers right. and people who are weirdly obsessed with side characters. But I'm also like, but that's a really cool background. That makes me like her. I know. But, so Tilly, I mean, on one hand, it's like, yeah, she's in the main cast. And so it should be yes. her because we want we want the main cast to be the people that we get to see, yeah. and get to do things, and she definitely has been spending time with Saru and being his advisor in like yes. the, the second episode with the first one with them, and in the dinner episode, like both mm. times Tilly sort of stepped up to the plate and was his backup, yeah. and so it makes in Michael's absence. She has been de facto first officer it makes sense and i like it and the only thing i don't like about it is that i was afraid of the reaction <laughs> no same um and i just i just i don't want to be afraid of the reaction do you mean from fandom or from the other characters from fandom 
from fandom. Oh, not from other yeah, characters. yeah. I've seen a lot of Mary Sue and Wesley Crusher talk. <laughs> and what I haven't seen is James T. fucking Kirk. <laughs> Can I just say, <laughs> like, I guess in Prime canon, like, Kirk went up through the ranks in a in a quote-unquote normal way he was still the youngest captain like mm. and that was his ambition from the beginning and he spent his entire career like doing that and there were definitely like points where he was uh he did like one good thing in a mission and immediately got promoted yeah so. also i don't think he, he did have such a normal such a normal career path because before he was captain of the enterprise he was a lieutenant teaching at starfleet academy and so my own headcanon is that there was such a shortage of ships after the, the Klingon War that a mm. lot of junior officers were put into teaching positions mm. and so forth and, you know, all of the admin sort of stuff because they also lost Starbase One and a mm -hmm. lot of the admiralty. And that put him in a place to have his potential recognised and he was fast-tracked onto the Enterprise when Pike retired. Mm -hmm. And then in... Not retired, got promoted. In the Kelvinverse... He literally is a cadet who's yeah. not even supposed to be on the ship, but gets on the ship, becomes the first officer, and then inherits the captaincy <laughs> in, like, a right. month. <laughs> so, right. which, and, and the thing is that it's a, like, there's a plot point where that was wrong. <laughs> and he's yes. it's great, and that's why I love those movies, because they acknowledge it. But, um... But it's, it's, so it's like, look, there is precedence for this. And so... There is. And I, I've seen people complaining that, you know, it should have gone to a person of colour and all of these people of colour are much more qualified than Tilly. I don't actually know if that's true because Reese and Bryce are both... Neither of them are command track. Neither is a washcloth. I, I mean, honestly, not to psychoanalyze random people I don't know, especially on hearsay... But, yeah. like, that really sounds like people who want to put down Tilly, but in a way that makes them sound like they're woke. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're just, like, glomping on to these characters that have literally no personality. <laughs> no, and no, have that's not right. And have not been seen, like, doing anything that would would make sure that they would get this position. The, the truth is, no one in the bridge crew has been in a position that, like, it makes sense that they would be the, the person. No. Tilly is no. the only one who's actually had those scenes with Saru. And so, like, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. It does. And also, I fully believe that because there's this emphasis on her being in an acting role, that she is going to be replaced with Michael. Like, Michael is going to earn that position back. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think that's kind of what she and Saru are both hoping for. Yeah, it almost feels like Tilly is, like, accepting it in order to keep that seat for Michael. You know, like, I'm mm. gonna... I'm gonna... Because she clearly has a lot of pent-up emotions about Michael... Their interactions yeah. were very interesting, both at the beginning and at the end of the episode. I really love that Michael tells her she doesn't know if she fits in anymore and Tilly doesn't say anything to say, oh, no, no, you need to be here, you need to stay. Mm. Like, Tilly, for the first time in her life, maybe, knows not to say anything. 
And I think that's great. I think, you know, it's a sign of how far she's grown and how secure she is. Mm. That A, she can call out Michael for putting her in a rough position and B, she doesn't need to tell Michael how to feel. Mm. And I liked that Michael, she sort of came over and was a part of the whole say yes situation Mm. to make a point that like, not only to Tilly, like, I, I believe in you and I think this is good for you and you should do it, but also to all the other people who are there mm. to be like, I'm mm. not resentful about this. Don't, yeah, don't be yeah. mad at Tilly on my behalf. <laughs> right. I think that shows great leadership on Michael's right. behalf. Right. Exactly. Maybe not, maybe not leadership, but emotional intelligence, which you definitely didn't get from Sarek. <laughs> Uh, I also loved the confirmation that these inspiring scenes, that they, like, plan them out beforehand. And I I just assume that they have, like, a WhatsApp group and, you know, (laughs) hey, everyone, we've decided to jump to the future, so we're going to stand here and wait for Michael to come out. And Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So good. So good. I love it. (laughs) And I I think I I got the impression that, uh, I mean, because – Samus was the only one that Tilly told um, that yes. he was behind it all. And that's also, like, I really like how Samus is growing into this sort of reluctant leader and reluctant yeah, parent, yeah. almost. Like, he's sort of, like, he's in this position where he's... People are, are depending on him to, to answer their questions and, like, and they're coming to him with their problems. <laughs> and he's like, why? <laughs> but he's stepping up and doing it. I also like that, you know, his first impulse is to say, I don't want you to be my boss. And then, unlike season one Stamets, mm. he takes some time to overcome his worst first impulse and makes it up to Tilly. Yes. So So it's good. I like I like these changes. I like this with I like the way things are going so far. Mm. If uh, this episode I felt like I'm not going to lose Michael and Book immediately. I'm not going to have to suffer through Michael. <laughs> yeah, okay. Being unhappy? As a, as a shorthand, I will say in The Rise of Skywalker, Ray tells Leia that someday she'll earn her brother's lightsaber. And I just mm. want to throw the entire movie out at that point. <laughs> and it's like very close to the beginning. Because Ray quote-unquote earned that lightsaber in the first movie I literally Mm. call that scene Anakin chooses Rey it's like Rey already does more to earn that lightsaber than Luke having it just handed to him and told not to point it at his face exactly so everyone can like I just that that so I was that's the scene that I was worried about Mm. that's the the scene where Michael's like I have to earn my way back into Starfleet. And it's like, no, you actually don't. <laughs> he, Starfleet is not this mantle that that some goddess is going to give you. Like, it's just... Ugh. Ugh. No, no. So, so this, this episode made me feel like I'm not going to have to suffer through these. Everything great about Michael is undone in order to... Mm punish her for being a woman with ambition and skills and character (laughs) and so I have hope I have hope 
for same the and future. this is not where I expected the story to go but I'm I'm delighted to be surprised and I feel like book and Michael's relationship is facing a challenge in terms of them both wanting to be in different places but at the same time that feels like a really organic and mature problem to have and they seem like they're adults and they're going to work through it they're willing to talk about it yeah which is yeah. something that Michael and Tyler like didn't ever actually have <laughs> they... no they they had real trouble with that so it's it's like Yay, you, you had your starter boyfriend, and now you have, like, mm-hmm. your, your new boyfriend. I, I wonder if she, like, told Book about Tyler, and she was like, yeah, my first my first real relationship <laughs> was with a, a human who used to be a Klingon, and he's like, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, wait, that's probably unusual for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I, I just feel like, you know, Book's probably not a virgin. I just, like, Book is just so wholesome. He he admires Michael the way I admire Michael, yeah. which is to say he has the highest regard for her and also hangs a lot of shit on her. And, and like when he said said they're both chronic overachievers after he saw it was so good. It's like yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, and he's not in awe of it. No, he's just like wow, you guys. <laughs> like it's like now that I've seen this, I understand you a little bit more. But, mm-hmm. uh, and the, like everything about Michael getting confirmation that her brother was not only, that he didn't only thrive, but he created like conditions for everybody to thrive. I know. I'm so proud of him. So, good stuff. Good stuff. And my Andorian is in the preview. So yes, everything. It, it worries me when Philip is not around because who knows who what she's doing or who she's eating, <laughs> and I assume what she does in this episode off camera is have strong words with Gabrielle about making Michael cry in public. <laughs> we also didn't see Linus this episode, so she could be eating him. In some sense of the word, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, as, as long as we're being a bit prurient, do you think Grudge just sat in the room and stared creepily while Book and Michael made love? <laughs> well, see, that all depends on what Grudge's relationship to uh, <laughs> Book actually is. Yes, I suppose I'm proceeding on the assumption that she's a cat and therefore a creep. Yeah, so if she's a cat, yes. If she's not a cat, I feel like it's more likely that she was like watching from a, on a view screen and plotting. <laughs> okay, but there's no scenario where Grudge is not a creep. That's right. Like it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No scenario my where she's question, just somewhere. Yeah. My other question before we wrap up: Did Michael introduce her mother to Book, or is she saving that for her next trip home? I feel like she did not, because that relationship is very new. Like, yeah, you don't want to rush it. They've been friends a while, but it's it's very new. This part of the relationship, and I almost think like she's not sharing him with anyone at this point. Yeah, and I wonder how much is that that's to do with her own natural inclination for privacy, right. and how much it's to do with the fact that he doesn't really want to hang out on the discovery part of the ship. <laughs> it's true too. But I kind of, I kind of want to see book. Like he, the only he, he's interacting with Michael and he's interacting with Philippa. Like, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of want to see what, how he interacts with the normal people in Discovery. <laughs> but a diminishing, a diminishing number yeah. of normal people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, and and uh, mm. hmm, hmm, hmm. If only there was some kind of shipwide poker game or something. Oh my well, goodness! You know, not not shipwide, but you know. they should have another movie night. They you should. You don't just have they one should. movie night. <laughs> like I really think it's time they watch Citizen Kane. <laughs> as long as they're working their way through like the film canon of the early twentieth century. Yeah. Good times. I, I I I think you know go with a classic. Who doesn't love Orson Welles? Well, no one loves Orson Welles as much as Orson Welles, but yeah. Because Citizen I, Kane I is a tops many lists, so it's a legit good movie. That's right. I hate to say it, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are, do you have anything further to add? No, I, I, I think we've gone very far off topic. <laughs> I just can't, can't believe that Baby Yoda has a name. <laughs> oh goodness! <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook search for antimatter pod if you like us leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts the more reviews the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell your friends and join us next week when we'll be talking about the next episode of star trek discovery the sanctuary yay i have no idea what's going to happen in this one but the Mm. trailer promised some sort of weird georgio shenanigans (laughs) i'm into it (laughs) Good times. (laughs) All right.